Well, as Lou has already said, we're approaching the end of this journey that we've been on for the past couple of months through just two chapters of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9. And if you'd like to turn to the passage that we're going to focus on this morning, it's Matthew chapter 9 from verse 27 to verse 34. I'm going to read it. So if you'd like to turn... In the Church Bibles, it's on page 974. I'll just give you a moment to get there. And then we'll read this passage together. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. And he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. I want us to start this morning just by trying to think of places that we've been to and things that we've seen that are amazing. Some of us are quite well-traveled, perhaps other of us less so, but... We've all seen things, I'm sure, that have just impressed us and have had an impact on us in some way. So I can remember seeing the Eiffel Tower for the first time. Uh, When I went to Paris, it was when I was 30, back in 1997. Saw the Eiffel Tower for the first time. Put your hand up if you've seen the Eiffel Tower. Wow, almost everyone's seen the Eiffel Tower. The first time I saw it huge uh, structure, just very impressive, a massive impact seeing that. Um, Who's, put your hand up if you've been to the stadium at St. Mary's to see Saints play? Oh, less, or perhaps the old Dell. I can remember going to the old Dell to see Southampton play for the first time. And again, it was this amazing experience, this amazing impact, the, the colour of the, of the pitch, the vivid green of the pitch that just stays with me. Mustafa. St. Mark's Church. And again, it doesn't have to be something huge and impressive. We can be impacted by churches or by sunsets or on a clear night seeing the moon, all of those kind of things. Things that we see that have an impact on us, that stay in our memories. I can remember 
going to London for the first time when I was about 10 years old. And we, we travelled into the centre of London on the underground. And as we came up out of the station onto the, onto the street, and I saw all of these huge buildings for the first time, it was an overwhelming moment. I, I have to admit, I felt a little bit scared by seeing all these high buildings. But it was just kind of, yeah, a moment of impact And a couple of years later, we actually moved to London, to the outskirts, and then I would often travel into the centre of London, and I'd see the same buildings. Uh, And after a time, they became familiar, and so it kind of lost the impact. It wasn't so such a moment seeing those buildings, those structures again. And I imagine if I lived in Paris and I was seeing the Eiffel Tower every day, then after a while it would, it would lose its impact. It wouldn't have the same wow factor. And I think the same can be true when we're reading passages in the Bible, like the one that we've read this morning. They become familiar. Perhaps the first time we read them, the first time we hear about the things that Jesus did, it's kind of, wow, that's amazing. But then after a while, we, we read the same things again and again. It just loses, loses the impact. These two chapters in Matthew's Gospel, you can read in, in 10 minutes, less than 10 minutes. And I've been trying to do that every day as we've been going through this series, just kind of as a, as a habit, just to, to stay familiar with what we've got here. And that's been, that's been helpful, I think, because... Um, even though it's become more and more familiar, I've had this impression of, of experiencing some of the things that went on in these chapters and, and kind of living with Jesus as, as I've been going through. So it's been, for me, very helpful. But, um, but it's become very familiar. And, and this passage this morning, it's the first thing that I, first point, if you like, I want to make is that uh, it has a familiar feel to it has a familiar feel to it, because there are quite a few things in this passage that we've already seen in the other miracles and healings that Jesus has has performed just in these two chapters. So, for example, we've got how many blind men? Two. And we had two demon-possessed men just a little while ago when Jesus went across the lake to the other side. And those two demon-possessed men, they were, they were shouting. Do you remember what they were shouting? What, what do you want with us? What do you want with us, son of God? I think that's right. Let me just check. Yeah, it's there in chapter, chapter 8, verse 29. What do you want with us, son of God? And here in the passage, we have these two blind men calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. So there's a similarity, isn't there? There's a familiarity about it. And then Jesus goes indoors. And it's while Jesus is indoors that he heals these two blind men, restores their sight, just as he went indoors to Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house and healed her there. And then Jesus highlights the fact that it is their faith that's going to be an important aspect of their healing. He touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, 
let it be done to you. And if you remember, it was the faith of the centurion whose servant was paralyzed that Jesus highlighted. And it was the faith of the woman who'd been suffering from bleeding for 12 years that Jesus highlighted. So these things have a familiar feel to them, don't they? And not only that, how does Jesus heal these two blind men? He touches them. He touches their eyes just the same way as he touched the man with leprosy to heal him or touched Simon Peter's mother-in-law to heal her or the lady who was suffering from bleeding touched uh, Jesus' garment and was healed. So that's another familiar feeling, isn't it? Jesus um, asks a question, doesn't he? Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And when the disciples were in the boat with Jesus and there was the storm and they were frightened, he asked them a question. He said, why are you so afraid when they woke him up? And then there's the reaction of the crowd here after the man who is demon-possessed has been healed and can speak again. And again, Jesus has driven out demons already But their reaction is that they are amazed. They've never seen anything like this. The same reaction as the disciples had when Jesus stilled the storm. They were were amazed as well. And the crowd say, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Which is very similar to what Jesus said about the centurion, that he'd not seen greater faith in all of Israel. So it shouldn't surprise us if this passage has a familiar feel to it because there are lots of similarities with the other things that Matthew has written about in these two chapters. And I don't think that's a mistake. I don't think that's uh, random. I think Matthew has carefully put these chapters together to help us to see who Jesus really is. So if this passage has a familiar feel, that's my first point. Second point The second thing that we get from this passage is that there are several surprises. What surprises you about this passage, I wonder? Because when we start to get familiar with something, it loses its impact. The thing that can help us is to be surprised by something that we read. So what is there in this passage that surprises us? What do you find surprising Perhaps the first thing that comes to me is that you have two blind men following Jesus. How do blind men follow Jesus? They can't see, surely. They must have some help. So that's a surprise. Second surprise, Jesus goes indoors. So they're calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. He goes indoors. And are they meant to follow him? They do, but it's a little bit complicated if you're blind. And then the question, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. He touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. If that doesn't surprise us, well, we know what Jesus is like. But if two blind people came here this morning, I wonder what our reaction would be. 
Jesus is here with us. Would we, would we expect him to heal two blind people today? It's, it's a question. It's an open question. But, but then perhaps another surprise is that Jesus warns them sternly. See that no one knows about this. That's another echo of a previous uh, encounter with the very first man that Jesus heals, the man with leprosy, and he tells him, don't tell anyone about it. And it's a puzzle to us, isn't it? Why would Jesus not want people to hear about what he's doing? And there's no explanation. But the next surprise is that they completely ignore Jesus. The man with leprosy who was healed, we don't know what he did. Perhaps he followed Jesus' instructions. But these two blind men know they're going to tell absolutely everyone what Jesus has done. So several surprises in this passage. But there's also, I think, a subtle surprise. Because a miracle has taken place even before Jesus restores their sight. I've heard, I've heard it said that, that if you have a handicap or a, a difficulty like blindness, then that can make other senses become more effective. So your hearing or your taste or whatever would, be, would compensate in some way. So if we think about it, these two blind men have not seen any miracles that Jesus has performed. How could they? They're blind. They've only heard about what Jesus has been doing, I suspect. But this is the miracle. This is the conclusion that they've come to. They call out, have mercy on us, son of David. They've, they've recognized and realized something about Jesus That is a miracle. Knowing that Jesus is the son of David means that they've understood from what Jesus, what they've heard about what Jesus has been doing, they've put the pieces together and they know that Jesus is the son of David. And what does that mean? It means that he, it's the very first thing that Matthew starts with in his gospel. If you go back to Matthew chapter 1, right at the beginning... Matthew makes it very clear that this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So it's something that's actually quite important because God had promised that there would be a Messiah, a promised king in the line of David. And somehow these two blind men have come to the conclusion that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the son of David. And that's a miracle. To, to, to get to that point, to understand that, to realize that, means that God has opened their hearts, that God has revealed something to them, perhaps something that other people hadn't seen. So there's a subtle surprise here. Before the miracle of their healing, there's the miracle of their belief in Jesus. And as I said, there are several surprises in this passage. But my third point is that there's also a challenging conclusion to this story. A challenging conclusion or 
Yeah. A conclusion that is shocking as well, I think. So having healed, having healed the blind man, having driven out the demon and enabled uh, this other man to be able to speak, the Pharisees who are there come to a conclusion. And they're asking the right question. The question they're asking is, how can Jesus do these things? But what a conclusion to come to. It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Remember, these, these are the, the experts, the religious leaders, seeing what Jesus does and coming to the conclusion that Jesus only has this power and ability because he's connected with, he's in league with the prince of demons, with, with Satan, with evil. We know that Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil one, to reverse everything that, that happened back in the Garden of Eden and everything that Satan has done ever since and continues to do today. Jesus came to destroy that. And here, the religious experts are saying that the reason Jesus is able to do this is that he has his power from the prince of demons. From the, There's some debate about what the prince of demons would have meant, whether that was uh, another god, Beelzebub, from the references in the Old Testament. But, um, but it's so far from the truth that it is, it's shocking. But I wonder what our conclusion is about these things. What conclusion do we come to when we read about Jesus doing these things? And again, it's worth, it's worth thinking um, about how Matthew has put these things together. We've got the healing of two blind men followed by the healing of someone who couldn't speak. And we might think, well, where, where do we see those things coming together? This is the, the first instance in the whole of the Bible where a blind person is healed. There'll be other instances later on, but, but the fact that it's two blind men followed by a man who was mute, where do, we, where do we find those things? Does that have a familiar feel? It probably doesn't for us. It didn't for me, but then thankfully we've got ways of looking these things up. And I looked up Exodus chapter 4. I'll just turn to it. Exodus chapter 4, where Moses encounters God. And, well, I won't go into the story of Moses, but you can read about it later. Moses has an encounter with God. And God is trying to show Moses what he wants Moses to do for him. And Moses has his excuses and his difficulties. And, and he says to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who, give, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf? Or mute? 
who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Who can do these things? Only the Lord, only God. And then if we turn to Isaiah, we've mentioned Isaiah before in connection with, um, with the book of Matthew and how often there are references to Isaiah. But Isaiah chapter 35 talks about a time when God will come and how we will recognise that it is God who has come into the world. And I'll just read from Isaiah Chapter 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue Shout for joy. So if we're familiar with these passages, and we're perhaps not, but when we read them, it's so clear that Jesus, when he does these things, he is revealing who he is. He is God. He is the Lord. He's able to do these things because of who he is. Which raises a question about how we respond, doesn't it? Last week, Alison very helpfully asked us the question, what, what miracle are we wanting, needing? What do we want God to do for us? And again, the words that Jesus said, says to the blind men, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. So that gives us lots to think about. It's a challenging conclusion, isn't it? What do we do with this? What are we asking God for? For ourselves or for others? For Portsmouth Church, for Southampton, for this country, for the world? Do you believe that I am able to do this? Is the question that Jesus asks. It's a challenge to our, to our faith and what we understand of who Jesus is. But as Matthew is trying to help us to see, Jesus is God Almighty in human form. The challenge is for us to believe this too. The two blind men following Jesus called out, Have mercy on us, son of David. 
Mercy has to do with things that we don't deserve. And just like the, the centurion who came to Jesus asking for healing for his servant said to Jesus, I don't deserve you to come to my house. We don't, we don't really deserve Jesus to do anything for us. But Jesus wants to do everything for us, I think. As I thought about the, the miracle that I, that I want... think about Alison's dad, 91 years old, and quite close to the end of his life. So Alison's with him, and taking care of him. And I don't, I don't think he's got anything more than just a nominal belief in God. But what a great miracle it would be if he were to, before he dies, understand who God is. So I'm praying for him. I'm sure we've all got things that we're, we're bringing to God and praying about, and I'll just encourage you with the words of Jesus. Let's keep, let's keep on praying. Okay.